Good to see you this morning, and my name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and uh, welcome to all of you who are joining us online too, really glad you can be with us today. Mm, Excuse me. As Robin mentioned, uh, today as you leave, uh, you're going to get a copy of this book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. And uh, these were given generously to the church, and uh, we have 200 copies to give to you. And so what we're going to do is uh, today we're just giving out one per household, but uh, if you come back next week, there'll be a few left over, and uh, then it's a free-for-all. So if you want another one, come back next week to the first service, and you might get one. Sound good? But no, we'd love for you to take this and read it, and it's a gift for you. And the series we're in right now, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, is the subtitle of this book. And uh, the insights from this series have all been uh, drawn largely from some of uh, the insights of this book by Dane Ortland, who's a pastor in Naperville. Uh, one of the things I want to draw your attention to, though, as you get it, is inside, tucked inside is a card, and uh, front and back are uh, a bunch of QR codes that you can scan with your phone, and they lead to a video study, a video series that accompanies the book that we've purchased for you that you have the opportunity to view and and, uh, benefit from. Um, They're not public links, but because you're part of our church, you get access to it. And so if you have trouble with this, shoot us an email in the office and uh, we'll just send you a regular link and uh, you'll be good to go. But encourage you just to to check that out and maybe watch those as you read it. You can read this book kind of devotionally even. Um, It's, it's, what, 100, just about 200 pages and uh, like 23 chapters. So it, it reads pretty easy. And uh, just encourage you to, to work through this book, though, and see how uh, the, the Lord might minister to your heart through it. Um, one other thing, too, Robin mentioned, next Sunday is our first Sunday of Advent. And so we will start a new series next week for Advent. And this year, we're going to be looking at the generosity of God. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And he gave him to us. And so we're going to be talking about his generosity and our generosity in return. And uh, all that kind of preparing for after the new year, just a short uh, generosity campaign as we head towards the parking lot project that's coming in the spring. And uh, so just, just want to give you a heads up on that, that that's coming and uh, should be good. And we're looking forward to it. Hey, I don't know if you know who this guy is. Do you? His name is Derek Redmond. And uh, he was a British runner in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and he was good. He held at the time, I don't know if he still does or not, but at the time at least held uh, the record for the 400 meter in Great Britain. And he was all uh, ready to run the 400 in the 88 Olympics when 10 minutes before his race, he had to withdraw (laughs) because of an issue with his Achilles. Well, uh, by God's grace, he, he got better. And uh, in 1992, at the next Summer Olympics in Barcelona, he was, he was ready to roll. And he was determined to race and to win. And uh, as he started that race, he was doing pretty well. His dad was in the stands watching. Everyone was there. And he was running the 400, and he was only 175 meters from the finish line when, well, you could see he was in the lead, Right? He's running well. This is him. This is blurry him right here running in that race. When at 175 meters left to go, he felt a pop in his right leg. 
and his hamstring pulled, uh, uh, just uh, basically, I think it even just, it came loose in his leg, but his dreams of being uh, an Olympic champion had been shattered once again. But he was determined, I told you, he was determined to run this race and to win it. And so even in his pain, he gets up and starts going. And he starts hobbling and making his way. And you could just see from the winces on his face and everything going on that he was in incredible pain as he made his way toward the finish line. And it wasn't really sure, like, if it, can he really do this? When out of the stands came his dad. And his dad came running past security guards and came up alongside him and put his arm around him. And together they hobbled to the end of the race. Now, uh, Derek Redmond didn't win an Olympic medal like his goal, but he did, with the help of his father, finish the race. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Uh, do you, anybody remember that? I was a freshman in high school at the time. I remember that taking place, and it was a pretty powerful testimony just to someone coming alongside someone and helping them. Well, you know, in our series last Sunday, we saw that Jesus is our advocate, that he comes alongside us. He, he helps us, he advocates for us. And you know, uh, what we're gonna see this morning is that not only is Jesus an advocate and a helper to us, but he also sends another helper to help us, namely the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he helps us in a way uh, that, that, that Jesus sends him to help. And Jesus even tells us, we're gonna see that it's better for us that he's not here physically and that the Holy Spirit is here uh, within us and among us and that he's a helper to us. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the heart of Christ. And so we may be thinking, what about the heart of the Spirit? What about the heart of the Father? How does all that play together? We're gonna talk about those things this morning. So with that, would you pray with me? And then uh, we're gonna dive in talking about those things today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his work on the cross. Thank you that he is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He's our helper, that he comes alongside us. And Jesus, thank you that you send the spirit, that you send him to be our helper, uh, to, to be among us all the time, to, to minister to our hearts, to encourage us, to, to change us. Uh, would you make that truth clear to us today? And Holy Spirit, would you um, even speak uh, to and through me as I uh, teach your word? Um, Lord, we look forward to a good morning. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I've said it already, but the Spirit, he helps us. Do you know that? He helps us. I wonder, have you ever had discouraging days? Maybe a discouraging week? discouraging year, decade. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I, I have actually. Well, do you know if, if you've ever faced discouragement and sorrow and those things, you're, you're not alone. You might feel alone, but you're not alone. Jesus himself, we read in the New Testament, faced discouragement and sorrow. And not only him, but his disciples. If you read the gospels, you see one occasion in particular where the disciples Jesus says, he, you have sorrow. Here, let me, let me just uh, show it to you. Uh, John chapter 16, uh, in verse five, Jesus is getting ready. He's heading to the cross. He's about to ascend into heaven to be with the Father. And, 
He says, now I'm going to him who sent me. I'm going back to the father. None of you asks, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Because I'm leaving, sorrow's filled your heart. Imagine, you know, we've been studying uh, the gentle and lowly nature of Jesus' heart, his, his gentleness toward us, his heart toward us. And imagine if you're able to walk with Jesus physically for three plus years of your life and experiencing that day in and day out. When he's leaving, would you be sad? Yeah, for sure there'd be sorrow in your heart and mine as well. But nevertheless, here's what Jesus says. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Who's he talking about? Who's the helper? Who is this helper that Jesus references? Well, um, the helper, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. You know, if you remember last week, I already mentioned this, but we, we read in Second John, or First John, excuse me, chapter two, that, that if we ever sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the one who, who comes alongside us and advocates on our behalf. Even in the midst of our sin, he advocates for us because of his love for us. He helps us. Well, um, the word used there uh, for advocate, remember our, our New Testament, our Bible, uh, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and the New Testament originally in Greek. And so we have an English translation of the original. And the Greek word underlying that word advocate is the word paraclete, parakleton, parakletos. Uh, not parakeet, paraclete. And, and what it means is advocate. But actually, do you know, more often than not, it's actually used as a description of the Holy Spirit. Here it describes Jesus, but it's also used as a description of the Holy Spirit. And more so, as, and it's translated there as our helper. He's our helper. Uh, you know, Jesus is saying, when, when I leave, I'm going to send another paraclete, another helper to be with you. I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper, one to be with you forever. I'm leaving, but he's gonna be with you forever. He'll be among you and with you. He's referring here to the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of times, uh, we have some confusion maybe at times over the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, we think, okay, well, who's the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Is he a force? Is it like Star Wars? Like, what, who's the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you, uh, the Holy Spirit is not, <coughs> excuse me, a what, or an it, or a thing, an impersonable thing, impersonal, but a personal being. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he's not just an it, he's a he. He's a person. He's, he's the third person of the Trinity. And, you know, the Bible helps us understand this in a number of ways. First off, uh, every pronoun used of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, uh, paraclete, helper, or uh, pneuma is the word actually for spirit. It, it, pneuma is a, is a neuter word. It doesn't have um, a gender associated to it. So when, uh, when it's used, the, the right pronoun for it is also a neuter one like it right? Except that the pronoun that's used in the Greek, I know you thought you graduated out of high school and you were done with grammar, right? Welcome back. 
The, the pronoun that's used though of the spirit is always a personal pronoun, he. It's the one that's always used to describe the spirit, pointing to the fact that he is a person. See, Jesus says this, he says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he, the spirit, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit's a person. Grammatically, there's no other way to understand the New Testament as it's related to the Holy Spirit than to understand him as a person. Just like Jesus is a person and the Father is a person and the three together are the Trinity, three and one. One God, three persons. You're like, can you explain that to me, Josh? I can try, but it's, it's hard, but the Bible teaches it and I believe it, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. And the personhood of the Holy Spirit is affirmed by his, by his works, the way he was involved in creation and empowers us and guides and comforts us. We're gonna talk about that here in just a second. And, and all of his attributes point to his personality. He, he's a person, this scripture makes clear. And, and we believe about the Trinity that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit have existed in loving relationship for eternity. And as such, uh, you, ever, you ever notice you love somebody, you, you kind of have a nickname for him maybe? I wonder if Jesus' nickname for the Spirit isn't Paraclete, the helper. Because the helper, when he comes, he's gonna help you. It says that in love about him. So how does he help? How does the Holy Spirit help us? Jesus promised he would help us. How? What does he do? You know, and, and Jesus tells us it's to our advantage if he leaves, right? Uh, there, there's sorrow in his leaving, but he says in verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't, then the helper won't come. And you, you need a helper. That's what Jesus is saying. We need the helper. We need the Holy Spirit. And they had had sorrow, but the helper will help in bringing encouragement and in bringing joy. In fact, there's a, there's a verb form of paraclete, paraclesis, which means exactly that, encouragement and comfort. You see it in, in Acts chapter nine, verse 31, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church did, and it, and it multiplied when it did that. And, and, and comfort, paraclete, paraclesis, it means to help. So again, let's look exactly at what this means for the Holy Spirit to help us. And you know, I thought maybe a, a succinct way to sum this up is just simply in our statement of faith. And so would you just read with me? We're gonna read through uh, Article 6. We have 10 points in our statement of faith. This is number six, and this concerns the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's read, let's read this together. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in him, they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So the person of the Holy Spirit uh, does so much to help us. You know, in fact, on your handout today, you've got a whole list on the right side of it, right? And uh, I just filled in as many as I could until I ran out of room. Because it could be a lot longer list than that. And the full list is. But maybe you take that, if it's helpful, you can just even cut that out, stick it in your Bible, and, and take it with you to understand how the Spirit helps. But rather than go through that entire list, 
Let's just look at some of the examples here listed in our statement of faith. First off, the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important to keep in mind, and we're gonna come back to that, but you should know that the, the work of the Holy Spirit is always glorifying to Jesus. And so if you see something to be claimed as the work of the Holy Spirit or in the name of the Spirit, and it isn't glorifying to Jesus, and it isn't according to his word, then uh, I would say it isn't the Spirit. You'll see that a little later this morning. But let's go on to uh, some of the ways he helps us then. Um, first off, he convicts the world of its guilt. He, he convicts us of our sin. He, he lets us know that we're sinful. You're like, that's helpful? Yeah, it is helpful. Because then we know we need a savior. In fact, uh, he does this not only for us, but for the world, right? I mean, anybody who has a conscience, it's the spirit who's working in them to reveal well, this is right, this is wrong. Now, sometimes we, we grieve the spirit, we sin against him and we sear our conscience, but the reality is he convicts us of the guilt of our sin. Uh, Jesus said this, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He also regenerates sinners. That's another thing the Holy Spirit does. Uh, he regenerates us. In other words, he's the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who when you trust Jesus, the Spirit is the one who transforms your heart and makes you a new person, who gives you new life. He changes you. He also, we could add to this, he sanctifies you over time and makes you more like Jesus, but he, he is the one who changes you and regenerates you. Uh, Jesus was talking to a religious leader, a guy by the name of Nicodemus, about what it took to, to, to enter into God's kingdom. And he told Nicodemus, he said, well, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He, he tells him that he has to be born again. And what he's talking about is being uh, given new life, being made new. And that only happens by the spirit, to be born of the spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. And he also seals us and keeps us to the end. And again, I told you, this list just goes on and on. But let's stick to what we have here. Uh, in him, we're baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs into the family. There, there's unity with Jesus. And uh, we're adopted as sons into God's family. You become God's child. How? By the work of the Holy Spirit when you trust Christ. The Holy Spirit does that work. He makes you his child. And he, he, um, he unifies us with Christ. He adopts us into his family and he bears witness to that truth. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit within us that we're the children of God. He brings us into, he does the work of changing us as we become adopted into the family. Uh, look at this. Also, he indwells. He indwells us. Do you know, when you become a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, because coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, trusting Jesus makes you a Christian. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes and he changes you and he dwells within you. This is why Jesus says it's so much better, even if I leave, because then you'll have the helper, you'll have the Spirit dwelling within you. Uh, Paul talks about this in, in, uh, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And not only this, but he dwells with us 
and within us. Uh, Look at this in John. John says, even the spirit of truth, or he writes, excuse me, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. Jesus is speaking. He says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's with us and within us. Not only does he indwell, but he illuminates. The spirit illuminates. In other words, uh, he helps us understand his word. Do you know the Holy Spirit is the one who worked in the human authors to write God's word? Peter tells us that the writers of scripture were born along by who? By the spirit. And the spirit wrote this. So the spirit also illuminates the Bible for us. So at times, you know, even at times, he illuminates it in your heart. Like even when I'm preaching or Pastor Dave or someone else is here teaching and preaching and, and you hear something, you're like, oh, wow. And like, it just hits you and like, like the light bulb goes on. That isn't me. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. He illuminates his word, right? It's as if he's, he's hovering over your shoulder as you're reading the text and uh, you've got a flashlight and you're like, I don't understand that. And you're reading and he goes, oh, let me explain it to you because I wrote it. <laughs> And he illuminates it for us. That's why before you read your Bible, let me encourage you, just pray for the spirit to help you understand the word. And he does that. He illuminates the word to us. He also guides. He guides us. He guides and he leads us. You see it in Jesus' life. You see it in the book of Acts. Maybe you've seen it in your own life or experienced it. Where you just know you have this this sense and if you're a Christian and maybe even in your gut, like that might be how you express it but the spirit leads you. And he maybe brings someone to mind, they need a word of encouragement today. Or, uh, you know, it'd be really helpful maybe if I went and did this for them. Or, or fill in the blank. The Holy Spirit guides us. And as you ask him for help, he will guide you as you go about life and make decisions. Jesus promises to send him in part to do that. Uh, he also equips us. He equips. He equips us to live uh, in a Christ-like way. Uh, Not only does he equip us individually, he equips the church, right? He gives apostles, prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then uh, finally, the Holy Spirit, uh, just in our list here this morning, he empowers. He empowers us. He empowers us to have victory over our sin, to to overcome our sin. Not that you never sin again, but when you do, he works in such a way that he can, remember, he convicts us, he convicts you of guilt, and then he empowers you to to move forward and to know you're loved and and to overcome that temptation the next time. The Holy Spirit does that. He also empowers you with gifts so that you can serve other people and serve the church and build up the body. The Holy Spirit does all that and more. You know, uh, we could talk about so many ways that he works and how he helps us, but you know, one we haven't mentioned yet that I think is an important work of the Holy Spirit is that uh, he manifests God's presence. He, he helps us to experience Jesus' heart. The Holy Spirit helps us to experience Jesus' heart. Um, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, he defines the Holy Spirit in this way. He says, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, especially in the church. What he's saying there is that the Holy Spirit now, as you read the New Testament, 
Jesus was the primary manifestation of the Trinity during the gospel times, right? Well, today, since Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit, not God the Father, not God the Son, but God the Spirit is the primary manifestation of God among us today until Jesus would return. Consider that for a minute. He's the primary manifestation of God among us. And he helps us then to experience Jesus' heart. We've been studying Jesus' heart, that he's gentle and lowly, that because of his love, he went to the cross for you and for me. And also, you need to know, because of that love, he sent his spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit as a helper so that we could not only know intellectually, but experience his heart. And I mentioned earlier, we, we need to remember first and foremost that the work of the Spirit is to extend the work of Jesus. He, he extends the work of God the Son. Uh, that's why we say in our statement of faith, in all that he does, he glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, sometimes you might hear somebody say, well, I think the Spirit led me to do this. You going, Really? Because when I open the Bible, it says, don't do that. Are you sure the Spirit led you to do that? Maybe a Spirit led you to do that, but not the Holy Spirit, right? Or, uh, and he always glorifies Jesus. He brings glory to Jesus. So, so I think to, then we can also be confident that um, the Holy Spirit, uh, in glorifying Jesus, he would bring joy to us. He but, all, but would not cause us to do just uh, idiotic things. How would that bring glory to Jesus? He, he brings glory to Jesus, right? Everything he does. And don't take my word for it. Jesus is the one who says this. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. What Jesus is saying here is that he's gonna speak what I tell him to speak. He's gonna speak on my behalf in your heart, in your life. That's why sometimes we talk about, you know, we're in Christ and Christ is in us. Well, he's in us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that work in and through us. And he'll only do things that he hears from Jesus, that Jesus would would do. And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. And he only does things that glorify Jesus. That's what Jesus said before he sent him. He said, he, the spirit will glorify me for he'll take what's mine and he'll declare it to you. See, the reason you know you can experience the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus Christ towards you is because the Holy Spirit will minister that to you. He'll indwell you. He'll fill you. He'll declare those things to you. And not just in an intellectual way, but I believe in an experiential, relational way. He'll glorify me. He'll take what's mine and declare it to you, Jesus says. And when I, when I say in a, an ex, experiential way, see, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He declares those things to us. And he does so in a rational way. There's certain things for us to know and believe and, and to know our truth, right? There are. Absolutely there are. But there's, there's also relational things that he expresses to us about who Jesus is. Think of it this way. 
my son Charlie, he's going to be six here next month sometime, end of the month. And uh, I tell Charlie all the time, every night, you know, before he goes to bed, every morning when he heads off to school, uh, hey, pal, I love you. I'm proud of you. I tell him it all the time. He knows it. I mean, multiple times a day I tell him this. But, and he needs to hear that. He absolutely needs to hear it. He does. But do you know what else? Do you know when there's also a relational aspect for him to know it and experience it? And that happens when uh, he runs at me and jumps into my arms or squeezes me or tries to tackle me or we wrestle before bed. There's an experiential aspect of that too, right? I mean, he, he couldn't really be in my presence without experiencing me to some degree and vice versa. It can't just be head knowledge. It can't just be rational. It also has to be relational because he's a person and I'm a person. What's well, the same with God? It's, it's not just a rational intellect, right? That, that, there, there's also a relational and experiential element that the spirit guides us in. And the Holy Spirit does that work because Christianity is both rational and relational. And Jesus tells us, he says, when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance things I've said to you. So, so he'll, <coughs> he'll teach us the intellectual, rational aspects. He'll also bring to remembrance those relational, experiential things of Jesus' heart. But you know, when I say that, the relational, experiential aspect of the spirit, sometimes kind of in, in our tribe, so to speak, within the kingdom, we get a little nervous about that. And uh, we're just not quite sure. Really? Experiential, Josh, you're gonna base things on that. Well, remember, first and foremost, the spirit glorifies Jesus. And part of that helping is helping us experience Jesus heart for you and for me. You might think of the Holy Spirit like a pair of binoculars in that sense, to where if you put on binoculars and you look out at the game and everything that's going on, everything looks really big through the binoculars, right? Um, but is that something to be afraid of? No, you're just, you're seeing the game as it really is. You're seeing things according to their true size, the Holy Spirit works in us and helps us experience the, the presence of God for who he truly is and, and, and to know Jesus in his heart for who he truly is. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what he does. And we can't ignore that part of his work. Uh, we've already looked at this verse, but Romans 8 tells us the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He helps us know that at a spirit level. Uh, a couple more uh, examples from the New Testament that won't be on the screen, but in 1 John, John writes this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We know we abide in him, not intellectually, but through his spirit. We, we know, I mean, we do intellectually, but also relationally and experientially. Acts chapter nine I uh, read that earlier, 931, where we talked about the spirit being a comforter and he comforts us. Well, he helps us experience Jesus' heart, but he also helps us experience the Father's heart toward us. Not just, this, not just Jesus' heart, but the Father's heart. 
Um, you know, we've talked a lot in this series about God the Son, about Jesus and his heart. And we've talked a lot today already now about the Holy Spirit and the extension of Jesus' heart in the Spirit to us. I wonder, you know, maybe you're asking or thinking, should we envision Jesus as gentle and lowly, but the Father as something else? You know, Jesus is gentle and lowly, but the Father, he's probably not quite as willing to forgive me, is he? He's probably maybe a little more standoffish, huh? Uh, Well, part of the reason is because the New Testament clearly teaches us, and we preach it regularly, that the justice of God the Father was vindicated and the wrath of God the Father was satisfied in the work of Jesus, of God the Son. He satisfied God's wrath on the cross, right? In the atonement. His death, burial, resurrection. I mean, Jesus didn't live primarily. He didn't live, die, bury, rise again, and ascend primarily to be a good moral example to us. Nor did he do it primarily uh, just to provide victory over Satan. Nor did he do it uh, primarily just to demonstrate his love for us. Jesus did those things primarily and supremely to satisfy the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin because it has to be dealt with and satisfied before a perfect and just and holy God. But sometimes we hear that and we believe that, rightly so, and then we think, well, if that's the case, if, if the Father's wrath has to be satisfied, surely he's looking at me a little different than the Son does, right? Do you, do you sense that sometimes? Do you feel that tension? Well, um, the Bible doesn't teach that. Let me explain. Uh, It was incredibly sacrificial and lowly that Jesus would come and give up his own life for you and for me while we were still his enemies. (laughs) Knowing we would still sin, he did all those things for us. But let me tell you, it was equally as lowly and gracious and loving for the father to allow his son to do that, to give up his son. God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son. That's out of his love for you that that happens. See, there's this sense that in eternity past then, the father and the son agreed in love for you and me to redeem a sinful people. And the son willingly says, I'll lay down my life. The father willingly says, I'll give up my son. And both are an expression of the true heart of God. Friends, we don't say you are loved at the end just to make you feel good. We say it because it's true. (laughs) You are loved by Jesus and you're loved by us and you're loved by the Father and you're loved by the Spirit. He loves you. In fact, uh, in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul describes the Father as the Father of mercies. Uh, He writes to him, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Uh, In his book, uh, Dane Ortland writes that, you know, in that phrase there, the opening of that letter, we kind of get a glimpse into just the natural thinking of Paul about who God the Father is. He's just, he's writing his intro and that's just what immediately comes to his mind about the Father. Uh, In fact, uh, listen to what he writes. 
He said, yes, the Father is just and righteous, unswervingly, unendingly, and without such a doctrine, such a reassurance, uh, we would have no hope that all the wrongs would one day be righted. But what is his heart? What flows out from his deepest being? What does he beget? Mercies. He's the father of mercies. And just as a father begets children who reflect who he is, the divine father begets mercies that reflect him. There's a family resemblance between the father and mercy. He is more a father of mercies than Satan is said to be the father of sin. Friends, he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. In other words, God the father, well, is he angry with our sin? Furiously. Why? Because it keeps us from experiencing his heart. See, his heart is one of love towards you. In other words, he's a father of mercies. He's He's a good dad. He's a good dad. Any good dad. Do I, do I get irritated at times? Angry even at things my son does? Yeah, I do. But does that change my love for him? Not an ounce. The same with the father. His ultimate heart, deep down when you peel everything else away is his love for you. He's a good dad. And even if you didn't have a good earthly dad, you have a good heavenly dad. And so don't judge your heavenly dad off your earthly dad. Judge your earthly dad off your heavenly dad who's good, right? In fact, um, the Bible tells us that uh, every family in heaven on earth is named after the father. Ephesians 3. So the fact that by God's grace, I get to be a dad and I'm called dad and called father, really all that's happened is God has shared his name with me and expects me to demonstrate his heart to my family. Do you see? He's a good dad. He loves you. And if you're curious whether or not Jesus' heart and the father's heart are both gentle and lowly in this way, as well as the spirit, uh, Philip, he he said to Jesus, Lord, um, Show us the Father, and then that'll be enough for us. Would you just show us the Father? Then we'll know that's who you are. Do you know what Jesus says? Do you recognize this passage? Look at what he says. Jesus says to him, he says, have I been with you so long, and still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? We have the same heart. The, the words that I say to you, do not, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. See, the Father's heart is the same as the Son's. And friends, uh, Jesus even said the Father himself loves you. He loves you. And the Spirit, the Spirit helps us to know that. The Spirit, he comes in his love and and he helps us experience Jesus' heart for us and helps us experience the Father's heart toward us. And in experiencing that and in knowing that, that's what then motivates us and enables us to live a life of holiness because the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they've changed us. 
Do you see? It's not me living in such a way that I could earn that love. It's living that way because of that love. That's his heart for you. He loves you. And uh, my hope for you as you leave today, uh, as you get a copy of this book, again, we've got one per family today and we'll have some more left over next week. Um, But just take your time and read through this. Uh, Look up the scriptures as you come across them and and read them and ask the spirit to to speak to you of God's heart for you. And not only that, but then uh, that that might encourage and enable you to live the life of holiness and of joy that he's called you to. Friends, you're loved. You are, let me pray.